Do we have any children here today? Raise your hand if you're a children. No, no, not in jest, really, just the children, yeah. There's always a bunch of guys who raise their hands, knuckleheads. Okay, children, so I want to teach you a word that I need you to repeat about 20 times during my homily. Ready? Ready? Yes, Father. Ready? Okay. The word is theotokos. I'm not joking. You can learn it. It's Greek. Theotokos. Say it with me. Theotokos. Say it again. Theotokos. The adults. Theotokos is one of the most important words in all of Christian history. And it's what we celebrate today. And it means God bearer. So whenever we speak of Mary, we can speak of her as the God bearer, the Theotokos. So today we celebrate the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God, which is really more about Jesus historically than it is about Mary. Um, And actually, if we look at the solemnities of Mary, they all really point to Jesus, just like Mary's own life. But today's solemnity is about the nature of Jesus, not specifically the person of Jesus, the who, but the what. Every uh, person has a who and a what. The who is John, the what is human. The who is Jesus, the what is divine and human, right? So when we talk of Mary as the children, watch. When we talk of Mary as the, okay. I was testing the kids last night. I'm like, how many of you remember? There were a few. There were a few who remembered. One of the moms remembered. She was really, really proud of herself. She probably forgot. Um, so anyway, when, it, when we, we talk about Mary's a Theotokos, the God-bearer, we're, we're saying something about Jesus. So in the early church, there was no Bible. Remember that the church is not, Christianity isn't principally a religion of a book. It's, it's said to be, but it's only said to be because of Bible Protestants, which they've only been around for about 150 years. Um, but historically, Christianity isn't about a book. Right? Christianity, actually, they talked about Christianity as the way and as a people. It was a people who, who were following Jesus. It's really about following a person who was also God. So the Bible didn't exist for hundreds and hundreds of years. It only exists because of the authority of the Catholic Church. In the early church, the church exists... And, in fact, Paul himself writes to the church at Galatia. The church pre-exists the writings. They weren't even, even the writings were, were not writings until decades and decades into the life of the church. It wasn't until Athanasius in the 400s where you actually have someone who, I think it was the 400s, um, who put together the list of Scripture as we know it today. And it was the authority of the church that put all of those together and decided of all the writings that existed, because there were many, all the different writings that existed, which ones had apostolic origin, 
So they were, they were attested to one of the apostles, and that's how they got into the scriptures. And then there's all these other writings that exist as well. Polycarp, Ignatius of Antioch, the Didache, there's all kinds of stuff. And it's really interesting because what you find when you read all of that from the early first couple of centuries, you find that everyone believed what Catholics believe. They all believed in the Eucharist. They all believed in the Pope. They all believed in asking saints to pray for us. They all believed it. And so historically, there is actually, if you look at it, there is actually no argument, there can be no argument historically that the church, the people of God, founded by Jesus is the Catholic Church. Historically, it's, it's undeniable. To, to deny that is to deny history. So the church had to figure out who was this Jesus, right? Because it wasn't absolutely clear. There wasn't a Bible. So there, was the, there, was, there were some writings, and then there were the personal witness, eyewitness accounts, there were the stories that were written about him, right? And they certainly knew the message of Jesus. And they had to figure out, was he God? Was, was he God and man, both? Was he God just sort of inhabiting a, a physical body? You know, what was the, the real union between God and man? What was that like? And they relied on, of course, the writings they did have, but also the apostolic tradition, and the authority of the church decided um, through, of course, the influence of the Holy Spirit, we hope, what the, the actual teaching of the nature and person of Christ is. And all Christians, of course, subsequently believe that, but they only believe it because of the authority of the Catholic Church and the Pope. The only reason why Protestants have a Bible is because of the authority of the church. So anytime a Bible Christian quotes you the Bible, say, thank you for quoting my book. It's our book. It's not your book. Well, it's their book too. I mean, you know, let's not be too strident with that. Um, but it comes from the Catholic Church. And you wouldn't even have, like Jesus didn't come on a book tour. He didn't come out of the womb with a book, read my book. It's not how it worked. And, and the book didn't even, people couldn't even read for centuries and centuries and centuries. You didn't even have books until Gutenberg in the printing press, right? You couldn't even have a Bible. Anyway, that's an aside. So in the early church, 431, the Council of Ephesus decided, after much, much debate, because there was all kinds of debates for centuries about this stuff, debates and arguments within the church between bishops and theologians, etc., and at the Council of Ephesus, 431, the church declared dogmatically, meaning the highest level of authority, that Mary is the mother of God. And the assertion of Mary, the mother of God, had everything to do with who Jesus is. So it wasn't, it wasn't appropriate or proper to merely call Mary the mother of Jesus because she was the children. Come on. I know you were up late. I was up late too. There were, there were, the fireworks were ridiculous. It was, like, it was like the Civil War in my backyard. <laughs> Theotokos, children, say it with me. Oh, say it with me. Theotokos, okay, so she's the God bear. You're gonna remember that. You get a donut if you, rem you're gonna get a donut anyway, but you know, apparently given the crowd, you're gonna get four. Um, 
So calling Mary the God-bearer says something. It says something about Mary, of course, but it says something more about Jesus, and that was the point, that Jesus was not merely a man, that he was man and God. And therefore, you could rightly call Mary the mother of God. This was a huge debate, a huge controversy. How could a human being be the mother of God? But it doesn't follow from Mary. It follows from who Jesus is and was, that Jesus did, in fact, at the incarnation, the enfleshment, at the incarnation, united human nature with divine nature. And not just in his life on earth, but for all of eternity. He is forever God and man. Now, all these theological points on the morning after New Year's, or the morning of New Year's. What is the point of this? Well, I mean, I think that stuff's interesting. But for ourselves, what I think is most impactful is that our God thinks so highly of us. He loves us so much. He values us so much, right? Because he created us good that he was willing to unite his divine nature to our nature. What does God think of me? What does God think of us? He thinks the world of us and more. He loves us so much, so perfectly. He couldn't, be anything, he couldn't love us any other way than perfect. But this is how much he loves us, that he sought to redeem us through our nature. Again, Emmanuel, God with us, not God apart from us. God enters into our world, incarnation. God is with us, Emmanuel, right? And, and God is, in fact, united or has united his divinity with our humanity. Consequently, what this opens for us is forever this unification between our nature and divine nature. Now, it doesn't mean we become a god, but what happens at baptism, and this is why baptism is so crucial, is that our souls are configured in such a way that now they're able to receive divine life itself. And on all of the other sacraments, it's divine life that we receive. It's not just bread and wine. It's a sacrament it's the bread and wine change transformed in the body and blood of Christ. It's not merely water. It's not merely an empty sign that we just do so that, you know, mom and dad will stop complaining we don't have the babies baptized. It means something and, in fact, ontologically in our nature changes us, alters us completely than we were before. And so now we're able to receive the very presence of God into our beings. You are holier than you ever imagined. And you might think, well, I don't deserve it. Yeah, you're right. I don't either. I'm right with you. None of us deserve it. That's why the gift is so incredible. That's why redemption is so amazing. Because even though we don't deserve it, God wants to give it to us anyway. His very life dwelling within us. And so the importance of the sacraments, the importance of the Eucharist, you know, every Sunday, so that within our souls, 
like miracle grow on a plant. It's my best analogy for grace. You know, we have our own nature, but then we have this additive that just kicks it into gear, right? It's like five-hour energy for the soul. We have this grace that magnifies all of our human efforts and brings us greater and greater holiness and goodness. Okay. We covered uh, nature of Christ, soteriology, some ecclesiology. That should be enough for New Year's Day, right? Hopefully you're ready for the test. Okay, please stand. <laughs>